Welcome to the Hope Church Memphis podcast. To learn more about Hope, including our worship opportunities, visit HopeChurchMemphis.com. Today's message comes from Senior Pastor Rufus Smith. In the Greco-Roman world, the first century, tax collectors were considered unpatriotic, traitors, extortioners, and irreligious. They were hated because they collaborated with the oppressive Roman government in order to collect not just legitimate taxes, but exorbitant taxes. And everyone knew that they were cheating and they would very quickly become rich. Tax collectors were so despised that they were excommunicated from the synagogue. Their families were ostracized from Jewish society, and their credibility was so low that most of the time they were forbidden from testifying in court. So when Jesus was mingling with them, that was unimaginable. But when he called one of them to be his disciple, that was scandalous. And so as we continue our series on tables, conversations that lead to change, we want to take a look at this passage in Matthew or in Mark. Now to get an idea of what a tax collector was like today in modernity, it would be like legalized loan sharking, where someone could loan you money at exorbitant prices but then have the Memphis Police Department or the Shelby County Sheriff Department enforce payment at high interest and on time. And if you did not do it, they had the authority to throw you in jail or even to beat you. That was how feared these tax collectors were. So notice as Jesus, uh, Mark says, did this. As he passed by, he saw Levi, that would be the same as Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And he, Matthew, Levi, got up and followed him, that is Jesus. And it happened that he, Jesus, was reclining at the table in Matthew's house. And many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many of them, and they were following him. When the scribes and the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and who? They said to his disciples, why is he eating with and sinners? After hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Isn't that amazing? Let's learn five things that Jesus teaches us about conversations that lead to change at the table before we come to the communion table. First of all, Jesus was pedestrian. 
He was pedestrian. That's a big word that says he walked among the people. Jesus did not cluster himself in the temple. He went out into the streets. As he passed by, he saw Levi, that is Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax office. This would not be an office like we picture in modernity. It would merely be a tax booth on the side of the road. It was strategically located in a high traffic area at the entrance of a city or at a seaport when many, many people were coming in. They were trading their goods, selling and buying. And Matthew was there to tax the commerce, selling and buying. So he was in a high traffic area. And as Jesus passed by, as was his custom, being pedestrian, walking among the people, unlike the Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, and the Essenes, he saw this tax collector. Jesus put himself in proximity with those who were re the rejected of his day. Repeat, Jesus put himself in proximity with those who were considered the rejected of his day, in proximity with those who were in pain. The word Pharisee means separated ones, and that's what they did. They separated, they isolated themselves from the rest of the crowd. And while they walked away because people did not comply with the law, Jesus walked toward. Did you hear what I said? They walked away from those who were not um, compliant with the law. Jesus walked toward them. He was pedestrian. He walked among them. And he wants us to do the very same thing. Here's the second thing. Matthew had previously planted spiritual stirrings. Matthew had previously planted spiritual stirrings. In other words, this was not the first time that he had heard about Jesus. And he, Jesus, said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Why did he do that? Never underestimate the work that God is already doing in the hearts of those that he wants to reach. Those who are unchurched, dechurched, religiously unaffiliated, overchurched, hurt by church, never underestimate the work that God the Father is already doing long before I have a conversation with them. How is he doing it? He's doing it through creation. God gets people's attention sometimes through creation. Everybody will look up beyond the sky and say, I wonder, is there something beyond what I can see? Creation, the order, the beauty of the universe and the galaxy gets some people's attention and prepares them for a conversation that I can have with them that could lead to change. You know what else gets our attention? Never underestimate what God is doing in crises, trouble, trial temptation. God often gets our attention because we don't pay real good attention when things are going well, at least I don't. But when things are not going well, it kind of gets my attention. 
He's speaking through crises. He also speaks through death. It helps us to measure our own mortality. It helps us to wonder what is life on the other side of earth. Whenever a loved one dies or a stranger dies or he, we hear of some catastrophe, it causes some to wonder about death and life after death. He also gets our attention. Never underestimate how God speaks through births, the births of new children. In fact, one of the statistics that is interesting today and been for the last 50 years that people who have walked away from church, the D church, often come back to church after the birth of a child because they want their children to have a spiritual heritage. God is speaking. God also speaks through personal examples. That's you. That's me. He creates a thirst as people look in our lives and hopefully they will see an authentic and attractive, winsome view of who Jesus is and it causes them to say, I want that kind of peace. I want that kind of purpose. I want that kind of power or the ability to get things done. So he's always working. Never underestimate. In Matthew's case, it's very likely that he heard Jesus speak himself. But he certainly heard the crowd as he was in a high traffic area talking about this man from Galilee, this Jesus of Nazareth. Why did he get up and follow immediately? Because of previously planted spiritual stirrings that God had already begun in his heart. I'll give you a third one. Jesus was perceived as unchurch friendly and he ate with the laws. That was his perception. He was approachable. He was perceived as unchurch friendly and he ate with the lost. And it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house, that's Matthew's house, Levi's house, and many what? And sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples. Though he was sinless in his step and he never compromised his character, those who were sinners, tax collectors, the rejected of society, found him somehow approachable. He was not overly moralistic or overly moralistic. He did not compromise his character, and yet they found him approachable, which is a challenge for me, and it's a challenge for you. Do those who are unchurched, dechurched, religiously unaffiliated, hurt by church, overchurched, do they find us approachable, or do they find us overly moralistic or legalistic? So there he was in Matthew's house, reclining and dining with tax collectors and sinners. They didn't do it the way we do it today. In the ancient world, you see that table, those tables before you, they were lowered to the ground because that's how they sat, on the ground, or with a stool, and they sat and reclined and ate. 
Why did the Pharisees think it was so scandalous? They thought it was scandalous because you would eat from a common loaf of bread and you would dip that bread in a common cup, sort of like appetizers we have. So you had these tax collectors and sinners touching the same loaf of bread, dipping in the same soup, uh, soup, breathing the same air in an enclosed environment. And for the Jewish concept, this created a mystical connection, a mystical connection to whomever you were eating with, reserved normally for family and friends. But when you did it with those who were not like you, then it also, in their minds, created a mystical connection because you were sharing your valuable time. You were pulling a chunk of bread from the same loaf. You were dipping it in the same cup. You were breathing the same air. And they didn't want to create such a connection with those who were not like them. Scandalous. I almost feel like preaching. Now somebody come help me up. <laughs> now I'm serious, I need, now I'm teasing. I'm just cheesing. <laughs> do those who are unchurched or dechurched, do they feel like I'm approachable? Let me give you another one. Jesus saw people's potential. Oh, I'm so glad that he didn't think a person's current station was their final destination. No, he saw people's potential. For there were many of them, and they were following him. I like that. There were many of them, and they were following him. They took Matthew's lead and they were following him, which means by the time Matthew had thrown this party for all of his tax collecting friends to come to, that many of them had made the same decision that Matthew himself had made, that we're going to become honest tax collectors. And the Bible must be interpreted during the time that it was written. And in ancient times, we have to understand that most Jewish boys coveted being a student of a famous rabbi. So this was already sort of planted in Matthew's heart. In fact, Matthew came from the tribe of Levi. And you know the tribe of Levi from the book of Leviticus, a whole book dedicated to that tribe. They took care of the temple. So it was not that Matthew had no knowledge of spiritual things. He just got off base. He just went down the wrong road. He just made some errors in life. He just got connected with the wrong crowd. But when he heard about Jesus, and because of these previously planted spiritual stirrings that God was already creating in his heart, when Jesus said to him, follow me, he got up and he followed him. 
it would be akin to like if you, for example, wanted to work in the financial sector, whatever job you have now, if Jeff Bezos came and said, you know what, quit your job, come and follow me and I'll make you a millionaire. You know what you do? Quit. If you wanted to be a chef and Julia Child said, quit where you are, come follow me and I'll make you a famous chef, you would quit. It would be akin to that. If you wanted the entertainment or acting industry and Denzel Washington said, whatever you're doing, if you come follow me, then I'll make you a great actor, you would quit. If you wanted to be a great lawyer and Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor said, quit your law office where you are now, come follow me and I'll make you a great lawyer, you quit. Same kind of thing. So Matthew wanted to know peace beyond understanding, power to get things done, purpose for real living. So when the King of Kings and Lord of Lords said, come follow me, you know what he did? Quit and followed him and many others started following him too. Mm. Lastly, Jesus distinguished between those who were physically well and those who were spiritually well. You can be physically well without being spiritually well. You can be spiritually well without being physically well. Jesus made a distinction. Notice what he says. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and they said to his disciples, why is he eating with and sinners? And Jesus overheard it. And so he answered himself. Jesus said to them, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now this was slight sarcasm also to the Pharisees because they thought they were righteous, but they were just as sick. And the people they considered sinners were not as bad as they thought. Jesus was actually addressing both groups when he said, those that are whole do not need a physician. So if you're whole, you don't need me. But those who are sick, that's who I came for. Let me see the hands of you who called the doctor when you were feeling 100% healthy. No, it's only when you are sick. And he was hanging out in Matthew's house with all of these people who were not spiritually well, but they were doing physically all right. Here's my challenge as we get ready to come to the table. Who are you hanging out with? Watch this. We found tons of these stories, which we packed out in Gospel Bound, but I will share one here with you. There is a girl named Rochelle Starr, and she lives in Louisville, Kentucky. And she loves the Lord, and she was working as a marketing manager for her firm and was driving along one day and noticed a sign for a strip club and felt a burden on her heart for the girls there. So she called her husband and said, I think I'm called to work in the sex industry. And he said to her, that's what Jesus would do. Um, but she didn't start a curriculum. She didn't come up with a vision statement. She didn't find people to be on a board of directors. What she did is just went and sat outside that strip club with a couple of friends and prayed. 
and then she did it again. And regularly and intentionally on Tuesdays and Thursdays for a year, they would go and sit outside the strip club and pray until she felt like it, God was telling her it's time to go in. So she went in and said to the owner of the strip club, I would like to do something kind and loving for the girls in this club. Would it be okay if I brought in a meal? And you can imagine the reaction. His jaw hit the floor. He was like, I have seen Christians picketing outside, but I have never knowingly had one in here before. She said, here I am. So he led her, and she brought in, the next week she came with her girls from church, and they made fried chicken and mashed potatoes, and in they came with their meal and laid it out for the girls. And some of the dancers were um, just as concerned as the owner. Some wouldn't eat it because they were afraid that it was poisoned. Um, but eventually, week after week, she just kept bringing a meal, and then bringing another meal, and then bringing another meal. And you probably know what happens when you eat with somebody week after week after week. You grow a friendship and you start to trust them. So they started to share stories with her. I'm addicted to heroin and I can't get off. Or I, I hate doing this. I wish I had gone to culinary school, but through the events that have happened in my life, I've been pushed here. One girl, she went to visit her apartment. And she said the only thing in there was a Disney princess sleeping bag. She didn't know what to do with all of this. She, there wasn't an agency that she knew of that she could refer these girls to. So she just started like, okay, call the people from church and see if they have any extra furniture. And they brought the stuff over and um, outfitted this girl's house. Um, trying to get help for, for girls who are addicted to drugs. Um, trying to find ways to open doors so these girls could walk out of an industry they hadn't wanted to be in. Eventually, she started a bakery that's called Scarlet's Bakery in Louisville um, to give them uh, something to do. Like if you're gonna take away a source of income from somebody, you have to provide another one. Um, it, I'm not saying it's not dark and hard, because it is, but it's also been beautiful. Rochelle has pulled more than 600 girls from the sex industry. She has changed thousands of lives of both the girls and the volunteers and seen hundreds come to the Lord. And at this point, she has expanded into five more cities and opened two more bakeries. It is a beautiful story of where God is at work. And it started not with a big vision, but with just a little a girl and her feeling and her praying with her friends outside. Mm. Yeah. I was with Sarah in Chicago. She's a senior writer for the Gospel Coalition. She told me this story and I asked her permission to share that story and, and uh, with others, and she, she granted it. Did you hear what she said? The owner said, I've seen Christians protest outside, but never come inside and offer a meal. That's exactly what Matthew did. <clears throat> he found all of his tax collecting buddies, and he invited them to his house to have a meal with Jesus. And I want to close with that before we come to the table and observe our own meal. Who are you hanging out with? If you're not comfortable having a conversation that could lead to spiritual change, at least do this. Invite them to this house. And in this house, they're going to hear about a pedestrian Savior. His name is Jesus, by the way, who, who left heaven's great glory for earth great gloom. In this house, they're going to hear about a Savior 
The highest of the high who became the lowest of the low and the richest of the rich who became the poorest of the poor. You may not be able to tell it, but bring them to this house and they can dine at the spiritual table and hear about this Jesus, the one who was born in Bethlehem where heaven sent out his best choir and brightest star to mark the place where he lay. And there was a baby ages older before his own mother said, before Abraham was, I already am. They'll hear about the one sinless in his steps, silent in his suffering, sacrificed for our sin, shepherd of our soul. They'll hear about him if you invite them to this table. Matthew said, I, I'm not quite ready to share it, but let me invite you to my house so you can meet the man from Galilee. And he'll change you just like he changed me. And they started following him, leaving where they were to take steps to where they had never been before. Let's pray together. Oh, gracious God, our Father, we prepare to come to the table. None of us are worthy to come to this table. But because of what you did on a hill called Calvary, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might have the righteousness of God. So we come to this table forgiven and with thanksgiving. We pray now that you will be with us. In your name we pray. Thanks for listening to the Hope Church Memphis podcast. I'm Daniel Openheisen, musical worship director at Hope. If you were encouraged by today's message, make sure to hit subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience previous messages, videos, and our live worship experience, visit us online at hopechurchmemphis.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Again, thanks for listening to the Hope Church Memphis podcast.